It's all right. Okay, Mark chapter 7 is where we'll be this morning. Mark chapter 7 in the Word of God as we're continuing through looking into the miracles of Christ. And every time we come to them, I'm going to continue to remind you of this wonderful fact about the miracles of Christ. And so you'll be reminded about 35, 37 times, all right? But be reminded the purpose behind the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ we find in the gospel records, Okay. Be reminded they're not there for some show or some spectacle, such as King Herod wanted to see in Luke chapter 23 and verse number 8, all right? They're not there for a show. Though these miracles were very much jaw-dropping, all right, to be able to see and experience, no doubt. They're not there just to gain some kind of a following, though many people did follow Lord Jesus Christ because of these miracles that he performed. That's not the main purpose. They're not there just to show the mighty power of the Lord Jesus Christ, though each and every one does do that very thing. And it is very true and it is a fact that God has all power in heaven and in earth. There's nothing too hard for him. It's not there just to show how Jesus helped people, though he did. He helped dozens and dozens, hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of people. It's not there just for that. Rather, The miracles are recorded for us in the Word of God to prove who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Christ, that He is God come in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Each miracle proves this wonderful point of His deity, that He is Jesus the Almighty. Here's what John said about it in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So this is why we have these miracles recorded for us, to show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And this fact, this understanding should cause you and I to come to Christ and believe on him as our Savior so that you and I would have life through his name. This is the main purpose behind every single miracle we've seen thus far and the ones we are going to see in the future. So I want to encourage you once again to allow these miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ to draw you to the Lord himself. All right? So take note. This is the purpose behind the miracles of the Lord. So we'll look at another one this morning. And the next miracle we're going to look at is going to be in Mark chapter 7, verse 31 is where we'll start. Verse 31 through 37. And you'll also find a hint of this miracle found in Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 31. But for today, we will begin and stay, stay mostly in Mark chapter 7, verse 31 through 37. So look at it with me. Mark chapter 7 and verse 31. If you have it ready and open, say amen. All right, it's about about 80%. That's good. All right. So look at it with me. Verse 31, and the Bible says, And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, came unto the sea of Galilee, through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf, and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit, and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed, and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. That's an Aramaic word, by the way, meaning be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, 
He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Our Father, I pray as you help us to understand the Word of God this morning. Help us to find these principles, these little nuggets, and apply them to our life today. Oh, Lord, I pray help us to draw closer to Lord Jesus Christ as a result of the study of another miracle found in your Word. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it may be some uh, importance, I believe, at least, to understand where this miracle is located, where this miracle is taking part. I believe it's important for us to know this. The Bible says that Jesus, after he had gotten done uh, visiting the uh, area of uh, Tyre and Sidon, he came to the coasts of Decapolis. Now, it's interesting to note for us that Decapolis was a place of ten cities. Uh, the prefix there, deca, means ten, and the suffix there, polis, means cities. All right, therefore, a place of ten cities. It had been a location, a region, an area. And according to history, the best guess of those cities could be these. It could be, I'm going to destroy these names, but it's okay. It could be, sin, uh, I told you, these names are hard. Okay. Uh, Sithopolis. Yep, that's a city. You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> Hypos. Gadara, Pella, Philadelphia, uh, Gersasus, Dion, Cathana, Damascus, and Raphana. Uh, it is the best guess that these were the ten cities that were in this area, in this region of, of the world. But it was this group of cities that made up a group of Hellenistic cities on the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire. And it's said that in this region of Decapolis, it would have been, had this um, reputation that Decapolis, this region, these ten cities would have been a Rome away from Rome, all right? It had been a Rome away from Rome, being that they had a major Roman influence with the Roman people being there, Roman uh, religion, no doubt, being there, Roman culture. A Decapolis would have been predominantly influenced by Rome. Therefore, it had the predominant influence of Gentiles. Now, Jesus was not a Gentile. He was a Jewish man. The disciples were not Gentiles. They were Jewish men. They've come to a very much Gentile region of the world. And it's in this region, in this sector of the country, of this, of this area, that Jesus and his disciples have now come. And they come to this Gentile area and they meet up with this. Number one, take note. They meet up with these people. A multitude, multitudes of people with different needs, multitudes with needs. Now you see at this time, there were more than just one individual that had many needs, all right? There were many people that had needs. The Bible says this, we get a better understanding of the multitude of people that came to him in Matthew chapter 15, verse 29 through 31. I want to read it to you. Then Jesus departed from thence and came nigh into the sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb speak, the maimed to be made whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. So understand at this time there were multitudes of people that had many different needs, but there's one specific one that's highlighted for us in Mark chapter number 7, verses 31, verse 31 through 37. One highlighted for us. It was a man who was deaf, all right? Now, this is pretty self-explanatory. This man here, he could not hear. 
That means he could not hear uh, the animals in nature. He could not hear the crowds of people. Uh, could have been a blessing. Couldn't hear the gossip around him. I don't know. But anyway, couldn't hear, okay? That was a joke. Oh, my goodness. Okay, folks, it's okay to laugh. But he couldn't hear. He couldn't hear the teaching and preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was deaf. Not only that, he was dumb. Now, this is not describing his intellect here. All right, just be aware of that. Rather, it's describing his inability to speak, or at least speak plainly. You see, the Bible says in our text that he had an impediment in his speech, meaning he could hardly talk. Well, today we would say he had a completely tongue, uh, his, his tongue was completely tied, all right? He was tongue-tied. And this is kind of where we get the impression of this. When you look at verse 35, and straightway, his ears were open, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. So we get this impression that he had a terrible tongue-tying time, all right? Say that 10 times fast. But anyway, that's what happened here. His tongue was tied, he couldn't speak plainly, and he was a man who could not hear as well. But understand something. This is interesting to me that this man was highlighted above all the others around. There was multitudes of people at this moment that had different needs. Multitudes of people. Yet we hone in on this man. I had to ask this question, why him? Why this one fellow? Out of the multitudes of people, why is just one guy that is zeroed in on, on his uh, needs? Why, why him? And I think the answer could be found in this, point number two. And this is where we're going to pretty much stay the rest of the time. I got four points, but I ain't getting past this one, all right? And I believe that's of the Lord. We'll see why in a minute. But point number two, not only to see the multitudes, I want to see this, number two. I want to see this man's friends. I want to see this man's friends. Look in our text in Mark chapter number 7. I want you to look at verse number 32. And when I stop reading, I want you to say the next word. All right, look at verse 32. When I stop reading, say the next word. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his, hands, his hand upon him. You see, the they here, I believe, could be very well some friends of this man. Now, we already know that this miracle has primarily to do with a deaf man who cannot talk, with a man who cannot hear, who cannot speak plainly. But it's easy to skip over the fact that, listen, somebody brought this man to Jesus. You, you see, this deaf man had concerned companions. Uh, this man who could not speak plainly had some faithful friends who brought him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice these two things about these friends. Number one, notice these friends had anticipation. So notice their anticipation. Now, Pastor, what are you talking about? These friends had anticipation. Well, I believe that these individuals were anticipating the Lord to return to this area of the country. Now, you may be thinking, oh, good night. Where do you see that in the text? Where do you see that in the scripture? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you remember one of the miracles we studied early on? I believe is in Mark chapter 5 or 4, 5, 5, of the maniac of Gadara. Do you remember that one? Anybody remember that, that message or that study? One, two, seven. I'm preaching that one again. All right. But if you go back a few pages, a few chapters, you'll read where Jesus met up with the maniac of Gadara. But do you remember about, anything about him? 
Do you remember how he was possessed with a multitude of demons? The Bible says that he was, had many, meaning his name was Legion. That's what he said when Jesus said, who are you? He said, we are Legion, meaning we are many. Now, Legion was upwards of 6,000 in a Roman army. So it could be that this maniac of Gadara was possessed of upwards of 6,000 demons. He had many inside of him, thousands of demons in him. But do you remember how he would wander in the mountains and in the tombs in the graveyards? And day and night he would cry out, meaning he would scream, scream to the top of his lungs. He would, he would give out an eerie, devilish screech, some, something like that. It would be a scream that would make the, the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You ever heard somebody scream like that or heard that out of the blue, out of nowhere? I have too. And it was a panther on the mountain. I tell you, they're out there, all right? They live with Bigfoot. But anyway, but they're out there, all right? When I heard that, it made the, <laughs> yeah, sorry. It made the hair on the back of my neck stand up, that scream, that screech. So that's what I kind of imagine this man doing, okay? Screaming in the mountains, screaming among the tombs, screaming out in the graveyard, Remember also how this man would cut himself with stones and how this man, no one could tame him, no one could chain him up. And as soon as somebody would get him into, we would say, handcuffs, he would break them with his own supernatural demonic power or strength. And just so you are aware, if you get in handcuffs and you break those handcuffs, I promise you, you won't get tased twice, all right, because that ain't normal, okay? But this is how this man was. He would break these chains, he would break these bands, he would break these cuffs. No man could tame him, no man could, could, could get him in the, under arrest. No man, no man could help him until, until one day he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Until this man who lived in utter darkness met the light of the world. And after he had this encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, it changed his life forever. Listen to what the Bible says about him. In Mark chapter 5, verse 15, they came unto Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion, here it is, sitting and clothed in his right mind. Even the people knew who he was, but now he's different. His life has been changed. He's completely different. But do you remember that story of the maniac of Gadara? It's amazing amazing story of the power of Christ, the authority of Lord Jesus Christ. He has every uh, power of every aspect in heaven and, and earth. It's an amazing story of, of redemption and new life found through Christ. It's really amazing. And even the, this maniac thought it was so amazing to have new life that he desperately wanted to follow the very one who gave him that new life. Here's what the Bible says in Mark chapter 5, verse 18. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. This maniac of Gadara wanted to be with Jesus. And by the way, that is a great thing. When the Lord changes your life, gives you new life, you want to be with him, that is a great thing. And we should. Want to be with him, be close to him, and walk with him. This is exactly what this man wanted. But understand something. This is not what God wanted for him. The Lord did not allow him to follow him into the boat and to the other side. Why? Because, because Jesus had greater plans for this man. Notice what Jesus told him in the story of this man. In Mark chapter 15, verse 18 through 20, here's what the Bible says. And when he was coming to the ship, 
He that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, didn't allow him, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends. Tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. He departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Did you catch the city of which this maniac of Gadara went? Or this region, rather, that he went to? He went to the region, the area of Decapolis. And what did Jesus tell this maniac of Gadara to do? He said, go home to your, to your, go home to your friends and tell them great things Jesus has done for you and had compassion on you. You see, I believe it was through the testimony and the witness of this maniac of Gadara that these guys in our text, back in Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 7, but these guys, these friends, these they in our text, who, by the way, could have been the friends that Jesus spoke about. I believe it was. It could have been that, that they heard from the maniac of Gadara of the Lord Jesus Christ from him, from that maniac himself. They could have heard what Jesus did. They could have heard how, how Jesus helped him. And by the way, they could have known about the maniac before. That makes all the difference in the world. We know somebody who they were before and then after encounter with Jesus and are completely changed. <laughs> that makes you perk up and listen to what they have to say. But I believe they heard of the Lord Jesus Christ from this maniac of Gadara, heard of the power of the Lord, heard of the compassion of the Lord, heard of the redemption of Christ, and so much more. And it was this testimony from the maniac of Gadara that gave them, listen, hope. That gave them hope for their other friends as well, including this one who was deaf and dumb. So this story, this testimony gave them the anticipation that they too, one day they too could meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And no doubt they couldn't wait till they could see the Lord. Couldn't wait till they could meet Jesus. Because listen, if, they, if Jesus could, could help the maniac Maddie from Gadara, listen, then he can help and heal deaf Dan from Decapolis, all right? Surely he can help them. Surely. So they anticipated the arrival of Lord Jesus Christ to this area. They couldn't wait till Jesus came by. They were anticipating this, waiting for him, waiting for him to come by. They heard about him so many times and from so many people, and they couldn't wait to meet him, couldn't wait to see him, couldn't wait. They were anticipating his arrival. Can I ask you a quick question this morning? Are you anticipating the arrival of Lord Jesus Christ? Now, we're not anticipating his first arrival because Jesus has already come once. You see, he's already come the first time in the flesh 2,000 years ago to die for you, to die for me, to be buried for us, to raise again the third day for us, that he might pay the way for us to have life and life eternal through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's already come the first time, but I want you to know he's coming again. He is coming again, and it's his second coming that we should be anticipating because, listen, it can happen at any moment. Here's what the Bible says about that in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 2. John writing, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when, not if, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, 
We shall see him as he is. Again, he writes this in 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when, not if, but when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know, it's interesting to me. As I read the writings in, in, of, of John, the apostle John, he's always reminding, especially new believers, when he says, my little children or little children, he's speaking to new believers, right? But he's reminding them constantly that Jesus is coming back. Why would he do that? Because John himself saw it with his own eyes. Remember, he was the human penman that God used to pen the book of Revelation. So he got to see all of this. He got to see it. He didn't want them to be caught off guard. And so he's reminded them, listen, Jesus is coming back. And it's going to be one of the greatest days of your life. Are you anticipating it? He goes on to write these words in Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 7. Behold, this is Jesus speaking, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of this prophecy of this book. Revelation twenty two twelve and behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. Revelation twenty two twenty, he which testifieth these things, John speaking, surely I come quickly, amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. Listen, he was always reminding his readers, Jesus is coming again. Even Paul spoke about it in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen through eighteen. We'll read these two verses of it though. The Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I believe these men were anticipating the Lord to re return or to come to this area of Decapolis. They were anticipating it. My question to us this morning is, are we anticipating his second coming? Are we anticipating the rapture of the church? Are we anticipating seeing the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it could be at any day. It can be. Listen, it could be today. It could be today. So not only notice these individuals, their anticipation of can't wait to see the Lord because he can help my friend. But notice this, number two. Notice this, number two. Their intercession. Not only their anticipation, but now their intercession. Look at verse 32 again. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. They beseech him. Beseech who? They beseech Jesus to put Jesus, to put his hand, his, Jesus' hand upon him. You see, in this text, we have a deaf man who, who couldn't speak. And in the context, he wouldn't be... 100% independent, nor would he be 100% helpless either. Don't get me wrong. But in some extent of his life, he would be somewhat dependent upon others, and especially, no doubt, in the area of communication. And he would need this, someone to intercede for him on his behalf. Now, what does it mean to intercede, especially as we consider the text and context of this portion of Scripture? Well, it means this. Intercede means to plead for the needs of someone else. Not plead for your own needs, but for the needs of someone, of someone else. And these friends did just that. They interceded for this man. They would intercede on his behalf. They would beseech Jesus, beg Jesus to help this man. Now, I find it interesting that they didn't know the details of just how Jesus would help this man. They didn't know that Jesus would take his fingers and put it into the man's ears. 
They didn't know that Jesus would spit and then touch the man's tongue. They didn't know these details of how Jesus would help and heal their friend. Besides, Jesus, as the Bible says, Jesus did all of this of putting his fingers in his ears, of spitting and touching his tongue. He did all of that aside and away from the multitudes. I believe he did it in private. He did it away from everybody. The Bible says this in verse 33, that he took the man aside from the multitude. So they did not know these details of how Jesus was going to help and heal this man. They didn't know the exact details to even ask how to help. All they knew was this. Listen, as he interceded and beseeched the Lord on their, on their behalf, their friend's behalf is this. They knew this. Their friend was struggling. They knew this. Their friend needed help. And they knew this. Jesus was the only one that could help him. They didn't know all the details, but they knew enough. And so they brought their friend to Jesus and simply asked and simply interceded on his behalf and said this. Lord, would you put your hand upon him? Lord, would you, would you just, just touch him? That's all it is. Lord, just touch him. We know you have all power. We've heard how you helped others. We know what you did for the maniac of Gadar. He told us, Lord, can you, just, can you just touch him? It would seem nothing is too hard for thee, Lord. Would you please just, just touch him? This is all they said. And listen, Jesus took care of the details. Listen, you may have somebody on your heart this morning, on your mind this morning, and you know they need help. And you know they need help in ways you cannot provide. Because they need, they need the Lord. You want to help them. You want to be there. You want to help them, but you don't know how. Can I tell you this morning, the greatest thing you can do for them is this. Intercede on their behalf. One of the greatest things you could do for them is to bring their name in prayer to God. You may not know the details of their need. You don't have to. You may not know the details of how to fix it, but you don't have to. But the greatest thing you can do is bring their name to God in prayer. There was a, a news reporter who was wanting to know the Secret to Spurgeon's success at the tabernacle there in London. And he simply said this. He said, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. He said, you want to know why we have all we, what we have, why, why God's moving the way he is? Because people pray. People pray for me. Understand, you may have somebody on your heart and mind this morning, and you don't know the details, but you know they're hurting, you know they need help. But you don't know exactly how to pray. You don't know exactly what to say. You don't know all the details in their life to pray for specifically. But listen to me this morning. You do not have to know the details. All you need to know is Jesus. And bring that individual, their name to the Lord. You just need to know Jesus. That's how you know you can pray. You need to know Jesus because it's Jesus who is more than able to help and to meet in their need. No, no, no matter how desperate it is. Because it's Jesus who is the bread of life. John chapter 6 verse 35. It's Jesus who is the light of the world. John 8 verse number 12. 
It's Jesus that is the door. John 10, verse number 9. It's Jesus that's the good shepherd. John 10, 11. It's Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five. 25. It's Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. In John 14, verse 6. It's Jesus who is the true vine. In John 15, verse 1. It's Jesus who is our mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It's Jesus who is our intercessor in Romans 8, 34. It's Jesus who is our advocate. 1 John 2, 1. It's Jesus who is our great high priest in Hebrews 4, 14. It's Jesus who is our deliverer in 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. It's Jesus. Listen, that is our great God and Savior, Titus 2, 13. All you need to know this morning is not their details, but you need to know Jesus Christ. You can bring it to them in prayer. Know the Lord. Do you know him? Do you know him? You have people around you, friends, family that are hurting. You know it, but you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say, but you know Jesus. The greatest thing you can do is bring them to the Lord Jesus. Bring their name before the throne of heaven, before our great God and Savior. Why? Because we know Jesus is able. That's why. We may not be able. Oh, man. Trusting our own strength and wisdom will get you all that, your strength and your wisdom. <laughs> and by the way, it's pretty pitiful. It is. Be honest with yourself. But we trust in the Lord who is able to do above all we can ask or think. And you get what Jesus can give you. So no wonder these friends had an anticipation. Oh, if God can do what he did for the maniac of Gadara, surely he can help my friend. I can't wait to meet him. And finally, they see that Jesus has come to their side of town, come to Decapolis, that Gentile area of the world. He's here, finally. We've got, to get, we've got to get our friend to Jesus. We've got to get there to him. Surely he can help him. Surely he can heal him. We've got to get him there. They bring him to Jesus and they simply say, Lord, will you just touch him? And Jesus took care of the rest. So this morning, here's what we need to do. Here's what I want to do. And I hope you join me in doing this. We got to pray. We got to pray. You have family, friends, maybe complete stranger you met this morning on your heart and mind. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I need to do. Here's what we as a church body need to do. We got to pray. We've got to intercede on their behalf and bring their name before the God of heaven who is more than able.